Hello and welcome to the AVSJ podcast. I'm here with my buddy Aaron. Say hello, Aaron. Hello. Um, we had another guest on the podcast, uh, my good friend Sydney, aka Sidders. Mm-hmm. Um, how how did you think it went, Aaron? Uh, I thought it was really good. We had some very interesting conversation um, about kind of working with a management team having Zoom sessions due to lockdown, his sort of influences, a bit of chat about UK hip-hop and American hip-hop, all sorts, really. What about you? Yeah, I really enjoyed the influences bit because we basically just chatted a lot about music that we like and why we like it, and I enjoyed that quite a lot. And also, yeah, he he gave a good insight into making music now, and I think it was quite good compared to when we had our last guest, Soul Paradise, because he works primarily on his own. Yeah, exactly. Like mm-hmm. He works primarily on his own. And Sydney has a management team behind him and it's cool to like see how they both do their things and like the contrast between them, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting stuff. I'm sure it'll be a very enjoyable listen. <laughs> it better be. <laughs> <laughs> and also, before I forget... Um, please leave us some reviews because and give us some feedback because we'd love to know what you think and we're yeah we're all for the people. This is democracy here, so yeah. And as long as those people are me and Jules, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, it's not too much of a democracy. I mean, we still control. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yeah, without without any more delay. Yeah, please. enjoy yourselves. <laughs> ABSJ podcast. Here we go. Hello and welcome to the AVSJ podcast. Um, I'm back with Aaron and this time we've got our second guest on the podcast. Uh, one of my oldest friends, um, Sydney Lintot Hilton, aka Sidders. Welcome to the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me. You must smile on a good day. Got me feeling when I feel pain. I swear I'm down and nothing will change.
all over everywhere to Brighton just to, mm. to chill on the beach and shit. So it just means it's a lot mm. more busy or packed than Yeah, than other I places. saw a video of like these uh, this group of like six people who must have been like in their fifties or sixties being interviewed right outside the arch, which is like a club on the beach. And they're basically said well, this guy was saying like, Oh, it's ridiculous, like I know I've got a beer in my hand, but they should never have relaxed the lockdown. <laughs> and it's like, well, you are here drinking a beer on the beach. And then like it cuts to like this woman who's in their group. She's like, yeah, but for us it's different because we're all family members. So like we can go into each other's houses and go to the beach and like not socially distance with each other. Mm. I was like, it's not really how it works to be honest. But. <laughs> yeah, me and Ruby went Ali Pali the other day. So we live together now so that we're allowed. All right, don't come at me. <laughs> and um, it was so busy. So it was, yeah. it was Wednesday, I think. So everything's been calm now and it was really hot. And there was two quad bikes. People really? just out on quad bikes. Didn't know that quad biking was a thing around London. But yeah. Yeah, I thought it wasn't really allowed, to be honest. Well, they had them. It's Don's with eyebrow slits called Shane. <laughs> 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 Let's get into it. So, Sydney, we've got you on the podcast. Um, for all the listeners who might not be aware of your music, let's give a, a little breakdown of you. Um, so, obviously, I've known you since we were like, I think, 14 years old. Right now, you've been, you're living in Brighton, but you've lived in quite a lot of places before, like London and Leeds and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Um, give us a little background and like, kind of, yeah, how you got so, to where you are now. A little bit about me. Um, so, yeah, I was born in London. <laughs> And, and raised in London but my mum's my always been between London and Brighton so even even when I was growing up like we moved to Brighton in year nine spent like a year in Brighton and then moved back because my mum needed to work which was in London and um, so I've always just between here and there and then when I moved to when I went to uni when I turned 18 my mum moved back to Brighton so like for the last three years when I've been coming back home it's been it's been to Brighton so it's been a bit weird, but um, I'm quite used to just recentering myself because even when we lived in London, it was always between so many different places. Like I lived in like I grew up in West Hampstead near Kilburn, and then we moved to, to like literally I think I've lived in like seven different places, like all in London. Nice. I'm, I'm kind of used to it, but like <laughs> I'm from from all parts. Fair. So when you think of home, is home London or Brighton? I would say the, the time that I most treasured is is that time when I lived in Archway, just because mm. it was so close to everyone I knew, and, and my my yard was a spot. Like Jules, you you'll remember, like people <laughs> yeah. would just turn up to my house without even asking. Like, I wouldn't even know it was rolling mine. <laughs> so I, I'd say when I think of home, it's it's always in North. Mm. One of my everlasting memories of that house was, or that flat even, was just coming back, and you just be like. For fuck's sake, the dog's been at it again. <laughs> be like everything would be torn up and like shit all over the house. It was, mate, it was a fucking nightmare, honestly. And uh, I remember I used to get in from school before my mum got in from work. So what it meant is I had about an hour, two hours to clean whatever fucking <laughs> shit the dog had done. Like I remember, I remember one time there was there was this girl that I went out to meet, literally just to chat outside my yard. And then by the time I'd gone back into my house and she was coming back into my house, the dog had broke out the cage, pulled down the Christmas tree. I didn't know where he was. <laughs> just heard a noise in my room. Yeah. <laughs> heard a noise and a smell from my room. I, I opened my room door. The dog sprinted out and just put on my new pair of shoes was just a perfect shit. Just like... <laughs> <laughs> what a lovely present. Um, and then during all this time, you began making music at what point did well i mean what point did you start making music and what point did you think this is something that i really want to pursue well to be honest i've always been involved in it so like even even when i was in primary school i always remembered just being part of the bands but like part of the choirs like singing at show performances and stuff like there's pictures of me when i was like maybe six years old like at the piano so it's always mm. been like just ingrained in 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 what i do and like in my house, my mum would always play music. I would, uh, and a lot of the memories I have from my childhood is tied to like specific bands or songs. 
Mm. And um, I guess when I when I realized that that I enjoyed making music was after a friend of mine called Carl Blarks, uh, Max, another lifelong friend. He makes music too, so check him out. But um, I remember hearing him freestyle. And like we used to go and meet up in Holly Lodge when we were like maybe 15, like 14, 15, 16. And that was when I first started freestyling and just properly realizing that like I could do it and enjoy it and, and get a reaction from people. In terms of first started making music, I first recorded a track when I was 17. And um, that was Kiyoshi Drifting. And from the sunny days of old to the future where Now if you ask me could I hold your hand And I'll be the guidance that you see Hmm. Which I which I put on SoundCloud. Also, it, it, a lot of it came from when when I was studying music tech at school, because before then I had no knowledge of of how to work the computer, how to record anything. I, like I would, I would freestyle, but I didn't. I never knew how to track it down. Hmm. And then um, as soon as I as soon as I worked out how to like the ins and outs of recording, just from there I fell in love with it. Like hmm. it's it's just such a. I don't know. For me, it's the beautiful way to spend your time. And it's, you put your time and effort into something. You'll be up till like four in the morning trying to do a track, whatever. But then you have it there to listen to after. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. like from then, like just the connections of, of meeting new musicians and sharing the vibe in the studio and just getting to create music is, is I love it. With Kyoshi Drifting being your first song that you put out, and then it, you put it on the tape like three years ago, three years mm. later, sorry. And there's like a transition from the song before, I can't remember what it is, like straight into it. Do you make the song before with the knowledge that you're going to transition into it or considering they're made at such different times? Yeah, no, to be honest, for me, it was just like as as the first body of work that I put onto to any platform to share properly, because... SoundCloud, it got a lot of traction and people were listening, but it's very much like a niche. Mm. It's it's still like your your bedroom producers and all, all that type of stuff. But when I was putting it on on Spotify, it's kind of like the moment to share everything that you're proud of. Mm. And so it wasn't specifically me making other tracks with Kiyoshi Drifting in mind, but it came to a point where I had the four solid tracks that I wanted to put on the EP. And I don't know. I just I just felt it right for like that, that first that first song that I properly was proud of just to be to be there, mm. and just know that like no matter what happens like to me because nothing nothing's for certain. But that will be there until for for like people that are in my life to listen to for forever. Mm. So obviously having music that you're putting out where you're talking about all sorts of things. You're mentioning like family members, mentioning things that happen in your life. Does that ever worry you about putting it out and thinking about how people might react to it? Not that you're ever saying anything bad, but... No, no, yeah, but I think it's, <laughs> it's definitely, it's, it's a step that's, that's hard to take as an artist, especially when you're younger and there's not... So you still have confidence, but you're still finding your feet with everything. Mm. And it's as soon as you're comfortable with letting the world know a little bit about yourself, you're just completely free to just chat what's ever on your mind but but for sure it was definitely a big obstacle at the beginning because even though you make music a lot of people don't know you for making music mm. do you know mm. what i mean so it, in the back of your mind you are like do you do you want this random person to have to have an insight into the things that you've been through but no i think i think less so now it's, it's more it's, it's, it's more it's more jarring the fact that I wake up and my mum would just be bumping my music bare <laughs> you know what the last time I was around at Sydney's then I was chatting to his mum and she was like Jules what do you think Sydney should grow out as afro right and like go for the Marvin Gaye look and I was like yeah Lisa he definitely should <laughs> Oh man! No, I love it. I love the support, but but on it, that's the only thing that comes to mind is I'll, I'll be recording this track or something, and then in the back of my head, I'll just be like, "Oh man, <laughs> gonna be hearing this." Just, <laughs> yeah, my mind is gonna be pumping this. Like. <laughs> um, but before before the making music, um, what would you say you were kind of listening to, and then what kind of when you started making music, were you trying to replicate? 
I think a, a host of different things, man. Like, back in the day specifically, I, I remember growing up and my mum would always be playing like Outcast. A lot of Jill Scott Herring, just like more spoken word. Mm. And um, R&B, like uh, there, there was a band called Maze. Like, if, you, if you haven't heard of them before, like the whole way they make music was just like layers on layers and Frankie Beverly just killing the vocals. You made me happy you can bear you stood right beside me yeah. and I won't forget and then my dad was just bear into house so really? any, <laughs> yeah 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 bear into house like anytime I was in the van with my dad it would always be house but um I say growing up when I got to about maybe 14 it was just all hip-hop like starting from like old school American hip hop, like obviously listening to Biggie and Pac, like Nas. And then just all Kendrick, like Kendrick was when I fell in love with music. Like To Pimp a Butterfly was, I'd say my first album that I, I really threw myself into. And then mm. um, obviously you have like all of your others in your UK hip hop, like Jest. But um, in terms of set influences, yeah. Just like India Ari, Erica Bad, Angie Stone. Um, fucking <laughs> what's her name <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> Sade I was about to say I was about to say Slade <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think I'm t- talking to the bit two biggest Sade fans I know to be honest <laughs> yeah man. Slade <laughs> I do love Sade, man. <laughs> Shade. <laughs> like I think when I was when I when I first started recording music was was uh, I think Kendrick had just put out to Pimp a Butterfly, and when I say to you, I had that album on repeat, and it was just everything about it—the jazz influences, all of the different ways that he uses his voice, the flows, like. That that was everything that was kind of inspiring me back then times. What money got to do with it? When I don't know the full definition of a rap image. I'm trapped inside the ghetto and I ain't proud to admit it. Institutional lies. I keep running back for a visit. Hold up. I only say this because I know it might annoy Jules. Do you put down to Pimper Butterfly as your favourite Kendrick album? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> but I think for me, that was the first proper experience I had of a whole album as a collective mm. piece from start to finish where you could easily mistake it for a, a 56 minute long track do you know what I mean mm. yeah I completely back that I, like when I went to uni I would like write essays about um to pimp a butterfly and Jules would get so pissed off because I do like Her- in-depth analysis about like why a track was an interlude and why it wasn't and yeah. Jules used to just be like he, he doesn't care man <laughs> he's not doing that for you. <laughs> you it was almost but it's not that like I would get annoyed because I don't like to pimp butterfly like I do like to pimp a butterfly I just think that like the pretentious opinions about to pimp a butterfly is what annoys me. It's because you album. don't understand it though. You're bro. just it's not, not smart it's not enough, for bro. You, mate. <laughs> I do often think that like. I appreciate that album a lot and I know it's a good album, but I don't resonate with it the same way that I resonate with his other albums because it probably wasn't made for me. Mm-hmm. I guess um, something where it's like Good Kid Mad City, where it's like a story that you can just kind of pick up on. Yeah, exactly. And you can appreciate the storytelling. Exactly. Mm. Um, not to say that I don't like Spooky Butterfly, I just don't have the same connection with it as the other ones. But I'm glad that you do because I'm glad that it brings enjoyment to your life (laughs) in fact it's also interesting because you said like obviously uh, after American hip hop you got into English hip hop and Aaron you were a massive I was the opposite yeah Yeah. really yeah I don't really know what I I feel like my brother's mate there was a period where his computer was broken and he was like YouTube converting all the songs that he listened to on our computer for some reason and I remember, I want to say it was Life in the Balance by Four Hours. 
The world is well balanced like karma is Do you fight freedom on the front line where the army is? Or in your mind opening the left part of this? I feel it in between my bones just like the cartilage When I'm part in this world I won't be sad The true gift was the blessing of life that I've had You can think that I'm mad Oh, leave some, some hippie shit It took a lot of changes in me to consider it That was like yeah. one of the songs that got me into UK hip-hop And then I just like ran with it and was listening mm-hmm. to all sorts of like Stigger the Dump, Jest, uh, Chester P, mm. um, all of High Focus and that lot. Yeah, high, high Focus was like a set part of my life. I remember first yeah. listening to, but do you know what it is for me? It was it was more like I, I would listen to Grime like in school, in primary school. Like everyone had Dizzy on their phones, like sending on Bluetooth mm-hmm. and shit. Mm-hmm. And then SBTV was like you would watch it religiously, like English Frank, like <laughs> Benny Banks, Squeaks. Hmm. like Sneakbo all of that but I wouldn't say like I threw myself into that like when I first stumbled across American hip hop do you know what I mean yeah like even though it definitely influenced my culture I wouldn't I wouldn't say that was like one of my first musical ventures Mm. it's interesting because then once I found American hip hop more for some reason I was kind of against it for a while like I was I was very pro UK hip hop and I didn't really I have a reason. Nigel Farage over <laughs> And then and then once I started listening to like Biggie and all the like actual um legends of the game, it meant that I kind of went more into American and never really came back to it. So now if I listen to like high focus and that, it's a rare occasion. Yeah. But I think that's also because I went too far into like some niche, niche UK yeah. artists. I was going to say, like, I remember when me and Aaron would like go to each other's houses, we like, one of the things we would always do is we play FIFA and then give each yeah. other like a we... USB or a hard drive or something with music that we've been listening to recently. And Aaron would just give me like this niche English hip hop. And yeah. I'd be like, I, I mean, I liked some of it, but I was a, a lot bit, of like, it. Where did you I mean, find this? Looking back at it, a lot of it was bad. Like we used to, we used to play um, whoever won the match could put, play the music for the next match. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. And I always used to. There was this producer called Mr. Loop, who I've got no idea what he's doing these days. But he, I was like obsessed with him. I was like, oh, yeah. this is probably my favorite artist right now. And I was obsessed with him for like five years. He's not like I'm not hating on Mr. Loop, obviously, but. He's not the quality <laughs> that, that, that deserved that level of praise. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm starting to suspect. Is this how you like you know, talk about me as a whole boyfriend? <laughs> yeah, look but back I think, a few years, like, what, man, what happened to that Sidders guy? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I remember I went to uh, this festival called Boom Bap. Sorry to just go on about UK hip hop now. No, please. Um, with Joe. And it was literally like a 2000 man festival, probably including the artists because the artists were also just chilling like the whole time, just going and watching everybody perform. And like, it was really weird because the whole lineup was kind of niche UK hip hop. And then in the like first few weeks running up to um, it actually starting, they added Skepta, Earl Sweatshirt, and this band that Wiki was in called Rat King as the Gee. headliners yeah that lineup sounds who's the fourth one um so was, the headliners were foreign beggars and four hours one night or maybe yeah. skepta was that night as well and then rat king and did i just say Earl sweatshirt and it was like a weird it was weird when Earl sweatshirt was playing because like it was all uk hip-hop and clearly he knew none of it and like some some high focus guy, I can't remember who it was. It could have been BVA. Like tried to come out on stage and like spit his bars with it, but he like just didn't really know what was going. Oh on. really? That's really. Funny. It was quite a joke. So I rest in peace, Metropolis as well. Mm, yeah, mad. I remember seeing Foreign Beggars like a couple of years ago at at Outlook. And they just mm. put on like such a good show. They are so sick live. Yeah, I've been wetting up tracks on the lab. Long before Jack was a lad. More licks in the bag than African youths get slaps off the dads on the rags. Certain man build careers on the blacks. That guy there's a one hit wonder. Us man, we done took bare drags. Don't get ags. So good. Like and I remember I remember seeing that with a Fezzi. And I was just thinking they've they've got the whole live performance so down. Mm. Like even though there's no like even though maybe not the whole crowd were were, were huge fans 
of, of their music. Like everyone was captivated in that moment. Yeah, Sydney, mm. I feel like I actually remember you and me at Secret Garden Party accidentally stumbling into a, a, a stage and they were like, we're like, all right, let's just see who's on next. And it was like, all right, now foreign beggars. And we're like, oh shit, <laughs> like, stay and watch this. And they're fucking crazy. Like, they're so I strong. have like this very clear memory of um, seeing them at Outlook and like, it was a bit, for some reason, the security had been a bit shit that day and like kept, comp- they, you couldn't sneak alcohol in. Um, when you were going into the festival and I remember it wasn't Metropolis it was the other one just got a bottle of vodka off stage poured it all into like a plastic bottle and just chucked it out to the front row and like <laughs> someone was so gassed they were like fighting over it <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's shit like that it makes a difference from an artist like and, and, and someone that genuinely cares I remember I went to see Laurel Karna Mm. That's another. Mm. That's another big influence. I can't lie. I remember listening to his verse on nineteen ninety two. Yeah, with, with Reggie Snow. That was the first time I heard him as well. Yeah, gee, that was the first time I heard of him, and that, that, that I, I can't lie. That was also an influence, like in terms of inspiring me to spit. But mm. um, I remember I went to see him when I was about sixteen, and me and H were in the front row. And he just started pouring bare of his fucking whiskey into our glasses. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I want to live this lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, I remember fucking um, me and my friend Jake went to go see Jay Prince. And this was like quite early on. Like I think like maybe just before he dropped late summers or maybe the one before that. And also it was really weird. There were like some slightly famous, but not that famous people there. Like Maya mm. Jammer was there. Um, mm. Someone else was there, and then Jesse James was there, and like I don't really listen listen to Jesse James that much. Nah, he's hard. He's but hard, I know dude. that like yeah, he's quite well respected. And my friend Jake was like, oh, I'm just gonna say like I like your music to him, blah blah blah. And Jake didn't drink at the time, and he said it to him, and Jesse James was like, Do you want a shot of Henny? Just pulled out this fat bottle of Hennessy, <laughs> and Jake was like, No, nah, I'm good, I'm good. And then he just turned to me like, Got Henny? I was so confused because I thought you said Jesse J and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, shout out Jesse J though. Jesse sure. James though, he's one of them dons. I, I have no idea how fucking old he is. Like, he could be orange. <laughs> completely he could be, like, he could be 20. Like, yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> mm. He always, whenever I used to see, um, not like it was a regular thing, but like I went to quite a few Reggie Snow sh- shows and Jesse James would always just be chilling. Like even if he wasn't coming out, he'd just be like chilling on the yeah, side. Yeah. I remember him and King Crew, him and King Crew around the side. And we went, we were like, Archie, Archie. That <laughs> <laughs> like, part of me does miss like being, I don't know, like 15, just so gassed. Like, I do love going to music, but especially like obviously we can't go now, but like it's just quite a different experience going now. Than it was before. Yeah, for sure. Then again, for even sure. even I went to see I went to see Jay Prince uh, in Leeds, and mm. I, and it was my first gig in time. Like not gig that I had done, but gig that I I specifically went to see. Mm. And this, the feeling was still there. I can't lie. Mm. Like just just being fully captivated. Like I don't think it's like I've lost the captivation, but I think like before. I remember when we went. To, in fact, us three went to go see Matt Miller, and I remember yeah. like we. Make like tried to get as front and center as possible. And I feel like now, if I went to that show, I'd be more than happy chilling to the side and letting the kids do their thing. Gee, and, like, that's a lie. That is a lie. If that is a lie, if you're trying to tell me that, you, if, if <laughs> I believe that about any other artist, but not. That <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. I just like obviously I love that show, but I do have an everlasting memory of just being pushed around when Matt Miller was singing love songs, and I was like, yeah. That did happen, bro. But. No, I always feel I, I always feel Pete because like I'm I'm like six two, and then I look behind me and then I will just see some like tiny woman like just not <laughs> able to see anything. <laughs> yeah, I've got a mate um, who's six seven, and he's regularly when he goes to gigs is like disrupted by people and they're, and they're, they're like either people will try and like bash into him and like try and start some sort of confrontation or like just everybody will ask to go in front of him. Mm. Must be yeah. so frustrating. I'm glad to be a normal size. Oh, boo hoo. I can see the stage better. Oh, how awful. Gee, that's the one thing The one thing that I loved about being tall. It didn't matter how far back I was. I could see that shit. 
<laughs> I remember going to see um, a tribe called Quest, nice. and I could see everything. And like, I can't remember. <laughs> I was, I was, there was a girl I was with that was complaining, and she was like, "Why can I get on your shoulders?" I was like, "Hell, fucking no!" <laughs> <laughs> So obviously now we're in a lockdown, um, but you've still been writing an EP. I mean, before the lockdown, you're obviously doing like the previous EP that we were talking about tonight, EP shows, collaborations. Mm. How has the lockdown kind of changed your creative process? Like what are you doing now that's different to what you were doing then? Uh, it, it is, for me, it's completely different just because before the lockdown, the whole experience of making music was that I would leave my house to go to a studio and it was, the whole energy around that is like you're going somewhere with a purpose. It, it changes, like no matter what, how you're feeling in the morning, what energy you were taking on the way there, as soon as you sit in the studio, the whole vibe is just, it, it, I don't know, it's, it's something that, that I enjoy. It's like a leave your work at the work, leave your work yeah. at work and leave your home at home kind of thing. Yeah, so so the whole process is, is, is different and what I found is, especially because I live in Brighton, is that I would never usually write and record here. Like, like I would write for, for personal stuff, but on all of the, the content I've been working on, it it would all be done like at a studio or a producer's yard. Like, So I think in the beginning, it definitely took some, some getting used to. But um, now I love it. I can't lie. Hmm. Like it's, it's changed the whole way that I see my setup and, and the way that I use my setup. And... Even in, in using Zoom, it has a whole different element. Like it's a lot more more relaxed. So say say back when, when you'd be going to a studio, you knew that you only had about, I don't know, like six hours with, with this producer, with this quality equipment. So there was no real margin for, well, you, you still, you got to chill and all that type of stuff. But at the end of the day, you wanted to come away with a finished track. Now, in a way, it's nicer because, like, while while you're chatting to someone, listening to them make a beat, like making music, you can you can go and make yourself a sandwich. And, do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like, so, so it's different. I think with everything, is is you adapt. It's it's frustrating. It, it is frustrating in terms of of content, though, because mm, yeah. before, as you were saying, like I was I was able to. I had two shows booked for uh, April. And one in, I think March and April, I had two shows booked that had to be cancelled. So yeah, a show, a show is meeting so many different people, an opportunity to share your music with people that haven't listened to you before. It's you, you take pictures and videos, it's content to, mm. to push like socials, all that type of stuff. And even like for, for this next project, I've I've been dying to just shoot like music videos and get pictures. Mm. Yeah, but yeah. With the lockdown, it's just been it's been difficult. Yeah. Like especially in Brighton when there's less people that are active. Do you think that um, it's changed the music that you're making, recording it in a different way? The one thing that makes it a bit easier is when you go to the studio with a producer, it's very easy to be lost in... You're coming together to create something, of course, mm. but you have to bear in mind that it's it, your, your vision of the music has to surge through, do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. if, if you want it to be your project and, and for you to release it, you have to put your stamp on it. And um, I think recording at home, it's a lot easier to do that. It proves a lot more difficult in making the track because when you're in the studio, it's so much easier to just like stop them on point and then say, oh, change this, change that, click da 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 da. Whereas now the, the audio is, is, you can't hear everything. Like until they send you that bounce of the clip they've been working on, you you can't tell. Mm. So it's more difficult to to create the track, but I, I think finding your own vision is is easier in your own environment, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Sounding woke as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> How have you found writing in kind of a situation where there's not much going on with with your day? Like there's not that much in terms of inspiration. Mm. But I think that's where the beauty of storytelling comes in. Like one one of the things that I love about writing and, and specifically bars or singing is like you have complete freedom to paint a picture or a story from from anywhere. Mm. So even though like the, the, the physical engagement isn't there, like you can't really base it on something that, that you're doing. It 
it's a beautiful way to spend your time because it gets you out of the walls that you're in. Mm -hmm. At least I found that with a couple of the tracks that I've been making. And a lot of the time, I think the inspiration I draw on is is stuff that that molded me as a person, like experiences that I had growing up or like when I was chilling with like a couple of mile or, or it's, it's never necessarily from what I had been doing in the past like week or, or month. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, it'd be a bit boring if you were like, on Monday I made a sandwich, and then on Tuesday... Craig David. <laughs> Isn't it? Isn't it? Craig. Remember the album cover of Craig David where he's got the headphones on? Yeah. That, for me, yeah, iconic. That, that just there's so much of my childhood is that that fucking album. My dad would just rinse it on repeat. I remember hopping into his van, going all around fucking London. It was calm because you were listening to that soothing honey voice. Sorry, Joe put um, a Craig David remix with DJ Premier on the chat the other day, and he's really? got a he's got a verse from Mustaf. And I thought that he had like a sample from Nate Dog of um, Oh No, but it's literally Craig David doing the best Nate Dog impression that you'd ever hear in your life. <laughs> like, I was certain that it was just Nate Dog. But apparently, Jeep, Craig's got that. Put some vocals. respect on his name. Bro. <laughs> Remember when Craig David had a bit of a like resurgence a few years ago? Yeah, and after then... that. Corrupt FM he was on Cape Chinada's album and the yeah. track banged. Yeah. It did. <laughs> Although, you know what annoyed me about that was that he was on Cape Chinada's album with that song, then they put the same song on Craig David's album and I thought, can't both use it. Got to, mm. got to choose. Anyway, enough, enough about Craig David. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the, one of the things is I think different between you, Sydney, and our last guest, Soul Paradise, was that he said that basically everything that he does is not all done by him, but like he basically sources everything. Like he'll make the music, then he'll like mix it, or then like he'll outsource the um, graphic designers and things like that. Whereas you have a management team behind you. Um, and you didn't always have a management team behind you. So how do you feel like working with a team benefits your music making? I think the one thing that's good about management, because I, I didn't have management for a long time. Like There were people that came and I was working with, but I, I didn't want to sign a management contract just because you have to see them and think, what what can they do to earn, earn the money that you're ultimately going to be paying them? Because these are people that you're hiring. And what that... What you, what you need from them basically is to give you complete freedom to just make the music. And even though like when I first released the EP and like even in the beginnings of recording for this second EP, the buzz from just like reaching out and doing everything yourself was beautiful. But having a management team now means that I, I still do that in terms of I, I give them a list of people I want to work with. Like the whole creative inspiration is coming from me and like the artwork and, and graphic designers, ev everything is still ran from me, but what they do is organize the sessions, organize like the the tactics and stuff that we're, we're gonna be using for the next releases. And they have the connections that I think is just so difficult to have when you're doing it by yourself. Mm. Like my management are able to go to labels, distribution companies like, with all the experience that they have and and just get it heard in places that I wouldn't have, have had it before. But it, it is mad different. I think one thing that definitely took some getting used to was having outside opinions on content that I was making. Mm. But I think what, what I've learned, because I haven't been with them for that long. I think I've been with my management for about six months now. And um, is, is learning to, to listen to what they're saying, but ultimately making the decisions yourself. And so even though it's a team effort, it, it's, it's, it's pioneered by you, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so even though it is different from, from the times before where I didn't have management, the, the beauty of it is still there. They're, they're just in the background and giving you the support when you need it. Mm -hmm. mm. Is there um, like a pressure on them, uh, from them? 
to keep making music when you otherwise might not be? Or is there always like a creative drive even without but them? I think I think that's the beauty of it because a lot of the time it's easy to get caught up in the day-to-days of life. But when you have something structured there and set, you, you know you have to like, so I'd be, I'd be doing up uni in Leeds and I would have like, I don't know, maybe three studio sessions booked for that for the next like three, four weeks. Mm. And it was beautiful to know that they had organized all of that and I had to make it. So, so like it was always there as like a constant and you couldn't just forget about it. So it kind of keeps you on track. Yes. So with the, with the last EP, it, it maybe took longer than I'd liked just because it was easy to sit on things. Like finish a track and just be so happy with it that it, it takes you a while to, to get back into the, the swing of things. But with the management there, it's like meeting with them once a week just keeps you on your toes. It, it keeps you busy. Yeah, I feel like answering to yourself, you can kind of give yourself more leeway and be more lenient and be like, oh yeah, I know I didn't get it done today, but like tomorrow for sure, for sure. Whereas if you're mm. answering to a more professional like person then the excuses that you would kind of give yourself don't really run in the same way well do you know what it is is you have to respect them it's because they they know what they're doing and they've been doing it for a long period of time and all of the opportunities they've given me shows that they're good at what they do Mm -hmm. so what it means is it's like even though i'm an artist and they like i'm hiring them to help me so you, you have to listen to what they're saying and you have to make sure that you're upholding your part of the bargain. So it's like they're doing this and hustling and pushing to help me. So the least I can do is respect myself and put out as much music as I can. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. And then what kind of plans do you have for the future? Like obviously you're writing this EP and you've been sending me some tracks you've been doing. Like, Do you have any kind of thoughts about when this might come together or...? Yeah, so so the whole process is from from the first EP. In in the next, I wanted like a continuous sound, like a, a body of work that just holds true. Not so much an album, but really has like a, a stamp on it. What the first part after after making the EP, the first part was just finding producers that we could work with to just put like a stamp and a specific sound on the next project. And um, once I had found maybe like three producers that I really worked with and 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 knew the vision. It was just recording to get the tracks that just gelled and fit and and I knew that I was happy with. And so what the plan is next is uh, we've got four tracks finished, mastered, and uh, that we're looking to release as singles before putting out the project ultimately like later in the year. But um, I think because I haven't released in so long, I just want to put it out, get a bit of momentum, have people back to like being ready to listen. Mm. and um, yeah then putting out a project the, the thing is I, I wanted to be gigging as much as possible in this time I was going to say that's probably the frustrating thing about not having shows is that you can even though like it's not there so that you can put out your new music and the crowd can react but you can kind of see and you can start to tease it out yeah you gauge people. the reaction that's the whole thing that, like, the, the beauty of a show is like everyone is there captivated by what you have to show them and so you, you test it out so like Two, two of the tracks that we're releasing for the next singles all came from the reaction of the past shows where I tried them out. Mm. And it's the perfect way to gain engagement just because everyone that may have listened to your music a little bit before a show listened to you, like you gain their respect and then they listen, then they spread it. And also the thing, the thing that I love about shows is that <laughs> I'll, I'll have like a couple of my management there like with me and watching. And everything that you've talked about, you can just show them. Do you know what I mean? So like one of the tracks I had wholehearted confidence with from the from the offset. <laughs> and then they might be questioning a little bit, whatever, whatever. But I stayed true. And then I performed it. Everyone was shouting the lyrics, all that type of shit. Literally just looked at them, gave them one look like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you talk about like you want to release these tracks and it's becoming more and more clear every day that like streaming services are the future. They're, they're the present and the future. Mm. Um, and you said that you were like releasing on SoundCloud and then 
you talked as if like releasing from SoundCloud and then to Spotify is like the the step to becoming more on well, job. Do with you things. know? Do you know what it is with with SoundCloud? There was no barriers to entry, and that's the beauty of it. Like every every artist, I don't know, at least modern that I listen to, would have had origins within SoundCloud, and that's worldwide, whether it's UK or in the US. But Spotify before le- less so much now. It was you had to fully commit. Like you had to go through a distribution platform to get your music there. And it was like almost a, a, the level of respect was different. Like you tell people you're dropping it on Spotify, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like, yeah. yeah. Whereas, like most people won't even have the SoundCloud app anymore. The thing with the advancement of technology and all that, it means that anyone, anyone can get onto that level. Anyone can release their music and have it listened to thousands, millions of people. So even though it's easy to be sour that like back in the day sales were so much more of a, a part of, of the music industry like you you can't forget the fact that back in the day you might not have been able to get there like mm-hmm. you would have had to you, you a label is not as important now like there's no need for an artist to have a label if you grow your fan base organically and put out quality content it will be heard whereas back in the day you needed a label to go anywhere like you mm. needed some form of distribution. I feel like now it's never been easier and it's also never been harder to be a musician because I mean, you and me both, like you can make music in your bedroom on a laptop and that will have like as much um, power and memory as an entire studio would have like a few decades ago. But at mm. the same time, because there's so many people doing that, it's so much harder to stand out. So in a way, Spotify has become the new SoundCloud because it's so easy for anyone to get on there. Yeah. And even though it, it holds like similar difficulties of being heard and cutting through the crowd, like I, I, I don't know, I, st- I still believe quality will always rise. Do you know what I mean? And there's, there's no point in really like denouncing the fact streaming has become more of a thing than actually buying a record because like we never bought records in the first place, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Like, I, 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 when, when, I, when I was younger, like even when LimeWire came in, just fucked up your whole computer. But like <laughs> downloading music for free has just been apparent from I don't know from from post like the 2000s. But what it means is that I can actually get paid. Like I can actually get paid for the streams yeah. that I'm getting on Spotify. Mm. And even though it's it's not as much as it was before, it's I'm I'm so grateful to have anything like any money that I earn from Spotify. I just see it as something like I've earned it from sharing a, a feeling or thought to other people that may need it. Mm-hmm. So like, and a couple of people have been mm-hmm. messaging me now, which is like the difference because I think my tracks have only they've always had like traction, but they've really been building up over the last like I don't know three four months. So when I first dropped them, it got picked up by like Colors playlist and a couple of them, but now it's like i'm having people messaging me on insta like oh i was in a really bad place like listening to your track really helped me get through or other people like oh i'm i'm, I'm just started making music like can i get your mm. your help or opinion on this and that and that's the whole reason why i do it like anytime i see something like that it just motivates me more because mm. it's just like what i'm doing is is positively affecting someone else mm. yeah so it's the love yeah what i was gonna say off the back of um when you're like yeah we never bought records but like back before streaming it was easier to listen to full albums so like when you're torrenting and stuff you're gonna download a full album you're not really gonna go song for song for song and so how do you think because like like you were saying before where like to to bim butterfly is like a full album that you listen to and it's like a full album experience compared to now with streaming like artists are just a collection of songs rather than a collection of albums do you Mm. think that is like a change that you've been aware of when you're putting out stuff i don't know i don't know necessarily for my own music because i think Mm -hmm. ultimately every artist has a different method of, of creating but i agree wholeheartedly that like the whole aspect of an album isn't really there anymore like even when you see the biggest artists around now, so like Drake, 
Yeah. You can tell that the whole album that he created is just a collection of throwaway singles and a couple hits. Mm. And I think that's that's present in so many artists. Like back in the day, when you were to, to, to make an album and it was vinyl, because of the whole process of getting it on, you knew that you had their complete attention for the next hour. Mm-hmm. Like the only change being when they had to flip the vinyl. Yeah, there's no like skipping songs. You've got yeah, exactly. to listen to it. And so there's so much more of a motivation to like throw yourself into the artwork. And also it's a physical, I think having a physical copy and, and pot, like thing of the music, just, it, I, I don't know, it, it brings a whole different aspect to it. Mm. Aaron, I know <clears throat> you hate Lil Nas X. Yeah. Have you seen his Twitter? Yeah. Nah, it's, it's Twitter bangs. Crazy. Yeah, it's Twitter bangs. But I mean, this is kind of my point: is that someone like Lil Nas X is the perfect example of making music in the digital age because he makes songs, as you say, not like he obviously made an EP of like seven songs, but he made really short songs, and you would put one or two of these songs in your playlist, and like you would repeat them because they're short and then they get more plays. And then as you mm-hmm. say, like his Twitter is quite jokes. The people like know him for being a funny person as well, which adds to like the kind of brand of Lil Nas X. And I know that Old Town Roads is not everyone's favorite song, but the way that he's done Lil, uh, Old Town Road and even things like Panini is like arguably the perfect way to release music in the digital age. Well, I think you've got to look at it for for the way that society's set up. Like at the end of the day, regardless of whether it's music, you're selling a thing. Like you have a mm. thing that you need to sell. And back in the day when there was no social media or anything, your music had to sell itself. Whereas mm. now it's so like you'll be surprised by just how many artists go down this route. Is like like even uh, someone that I know that did it perfectly is May Muller. Like she's someone that we used to hang around with, but building a profile on social media, be it whether you have like 5K, 10K, 15K, it's so much easier for you to sell this thing. And you have to you have to really hit home on all different aspects in, in how you can sell yourself. And social mm. media is the perfect, like perfect platform for you to do that. So if you have already 10K people following you, when you drop a song and it gets that 10,000 views just within a day, it gets picked up by so many different people's radar because it has that initial traction. And so what people like mm. Lil Nas X are doing is by really hitting the socials, it just, it makes their music secondary. Like you're, you're consuming them as a personality on the socials and mm. their music is just a feeder from that. So, have you, do you remember Jimothy Lacoste and yeah. have you seen a new guy, Nico Bellic? Nico nah. B. No. Gee, he's, <laughs> nah, he's, he's a funny guy, he's a funny guy. But both <laughs> of them are the perfect example. Like, you look on their Spotify, they're doing numbers. They're doing mm, numbers. Yeah. It's like becoming a product as a, as a whole with yourself and your music. So, like, your entire personality can be consumed. So, like you're putting all this stuff on social and you're growing through there and that in turn is feeding into the other stuff. Bro, KSI gets 4 million different listeners a month on music. Like, some of the biggest artists in the UK don't hit that. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm saying I mean, that's his music, like... And his music's trash. Like, his music's trash. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing that collab away. <laughs> we all think of KSI as fucking that guy that made stupid FIFA videos. But yeah, he does have music fans. Because mm. he just played the game right. Yeah. Gee, just look at he's his got, features. Lil Pump. Yeah, he's got offset Pump, on his Rick album. Serious? Yeah. Red. <laughs> it's yeah. mad. And Sydney, you also... I mean, you said that you had a song in the Colors playlist, but you also had a song on like a Spotify editorial playlist. Mm. And as a result of that, kind of your numbers went up quite dramatically i mean obviously you're happy that that happened to you do you feel like that's a beneficial way for artists to grow their numbers yeah of course i think you have to take it for what it is like it's in a way it's a shame that you have to get playlisted in in Mm -hmm. order to like really breach the masses i mean you you don't have to get playlisted but it helps a lot but what what that means is that it's a lot easier for industries 
so like your labels to just create something out of nothing so they'll take an artist that hasn't even released any music whatsoever get them to create a project and then they'll throw six of the tracks from that project into the biggest playlist on spotify mm-hmm. and then what you have then is like a perfectly curated way to create something out of nothing mm. and I do think it's a shame that a lot of artists have to break into that when it's such a system so set. Like one of the main perks of management is, is as I said before, the connections that they have and the people that they know that, that make the players and all that type of shit. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, back back in the day when, you, when you're completely by yourself, like just getting in, like breaking into that is difficult. Mm. It's interesting because it kind of appears to the outside like an organic thing of like people just getting spotted and put on playlist but instead what you're saying is like it's more calculated from an industry perspective yeah for sure for sure like you have to remember that it's people at the end of the day that make these playlists and all of them know each other and so Mm. what it means is that a, a, a head figure in one of the biggest labels if they put an artist that has literally zero fans into 10 of the biggest playlists, they're going to amass to 100,000 views in less than nothing. Mm. And don't get me wrong, you still have to have quality content. You still have to have yeah, things that are good. <laughs> but it's just so much less organic. I do often find that like, what I mean, I have no basis for this. This is almost definitely a conspiracy theory. But <laughs> for example, um, my brother gave me his Audible subscription, which is like for audiobooks. His general type is like, left-wing comedians like your Richard Iowardis or your Robert Webbs or people like that and mm-hmm. he keeps on getting 50 cents new book as like the highest recommended <laughs> book to listen to and I think that is not at all in line with his other books <laughs> so why is 50 cent constantly popping up and it mm. makes me think, well, he has a new book. Maybe, I don't know, he's got some kind of thing with Audible. And it's the same on Spotify. Like when Drake released Scorpion, then it was on the front page for everyone. And it was in everyone's recommended, like, no, no matter where you looked, you saw Scorpion. Gee, do you remember when you 2 made it so anyone that, yeah. that bought <laughs> Everybody <laughs> got that <laughs> <laughs> But that's even worse Fuck because that me. was like an invasion into your library that's not even just like targeted adverts that's like you now have to listen well not it has to listen to youtube like this is now mm. part of your collection <laughs> and it was like impossible to delete for a while as well. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's just advertising though i know but it's like when drake makes an album like that then like why exactly is he on the front page for so long because he's probably got a deal with Spotify to be there. And I know that Chance Rapper, I remember he did a thing on Joe Bunn's podcast where he basically said that he was one of the reasons why the Spotify, the streaming wars ended because he was trying to make exclusive deals with all these people and they all kind of realised that like, this is just not a good way for fans to listen to music. Shout out Chance though. You see how he saved SoundCloud? Do you remember? <laughs> no, I don't remember. He, he put, yeah, I remember. He, I think he put his album out specifically on SoundCloud. Like yeah. no other platforms other than SoundCloud. Like or, 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 during one of the times where they were literally. He did like a few spot of um, SoundCloud exclusive like mixtapes. Mm. Like he did that Christmas one, which is not. It's, I'm not gonna say it's his best one, but like, <laughs> he, did, he did like a Christmas one with Lil B. Gee, let's be let's be real. I can't like after after Acid Rap there was. Uh, I did. I don't know. I liked Coloring Book. Coloring book was good. No, I mm. well, I mean, it was all right, but I wasn't the biggest. It was definitely my least favorite of the three. But, but do you want to hear something that I, I was working with a producer who said that he was he was good friends with someone working on the on the trans project, mm-hmm. and they said that I think two months before the project was set to release, they were nowhere near finished. <laughs> on the big day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then as I listened to it, it made so much sense. I was like, all of the hooks are mad cheesy. <laughs> like they just see it just seemed rushed it is just a mess that whole thing it, it is quite it's quite upsetting because i loved that boy gee chance chance is an inspiration like mm. i think when i first started rapping a lot of the times i would just think to myself what would chance do kicked off my shoes stripped acid in the rain wore my jacket as a cape and my umbrella as a cane the richest man rocks the snatchless necklace spineless bitches in backless dresses Wore my feelings on my sleeveless 
My weed seedless, my trees leafless I miss my diagonal grilled cheeses And back when Mike Jackson was still Jesus Like what flow would Chance come with? Like how would he slip melodies into the songs? Like even his intro to, to Kanye's album Mm. The life of Pablo. That was that was cold. He killed it. Yeah, he was like so creative with the kind of things he was doing with his music. Like in terms of flows, it, like you could never kind of repredict what he was gonna do, and then it's just all gone downhill. Downhill, even. He's a weird one as well because, like, obviously the big day got so much negative backlash, and he had like this massive tour lined up for it, and then he cancelled it once. I think because he said he wanted to care for his newborn kid or something, or like mm-hmm. his selfish wife. bastard, <laughs> and he like <laughs> and he like postponed it for what like six months. What about the fans? <laughs> <laughs> he postponed it for like six months, and then um, he cancelled it again. But I can't remember why he did it the second time. But it's like one of them ones where like he must have known he fucked up. Mm. Well, that's what they said about um, Anderson and Oxnard. Like he had to rush to put out Ventura because. The re- response from Oxnard wasn't good enough. That's what I feel. Yeah, but that's, well. I can't lie, that's the whole negative aspect of a label, man. Mm. Like, when they when they just put all of these, like, deadlines and boundaries and force artists to do shit that they might not necessarily mm. be comfortable doing. Like, did you hear about what Frank Ocean did to get out of his deal? Yeah, where he dropped, um, what's it called? Before, like, the day before yeah. Blonde. Endless? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He dropped, yeah, yeah. He dropped that, which was like a four-hour-long piece. With yeah. A video, okay. and, and no, no one really like. I think it, it sold like less than a, I don't know, less than half a mil. It was like a video of him making a staircase or something, <laughs> so that he could put out a, um, an official project. So it was like his last project of the deal, and then he could make a independent. Oh, album. really? Yeah. What? Because he had a yeah. thing saying you need to put out one more project. Yeah. yeah, so he put out that project, which was trash, and then dropped Blonde, <laughs> and it was like one of the best-selling albums. Why didn't he just put Blonde on? Why didn't he just drop Because he wanted, him, he wanted to do it independent, and they also probably would have influenced it. Mm. So he dropped the project to get out of his deal, and then when he was independent, dropped Blonde. Literally dropped it. It, it was like change from one day to the next on midnight. Drop blonde. <laughs> <laughs> you sneaky Frank. <laughs> we always like to round off with some recommendations for people, uh, ideas of what to listen to. Um, I've been listening to quite a bit of Pip Millet at the minute. Yeah, um, good. Solid, yeah. Solid. My name, high love, feeling My friend, my friend Fred Cox produced a lot of the tracks on there. Oh, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. My yeah. F- my friend, actually, the same boy that um, designed our logo, who I didn't shout out last time, Oscar Ringham Designs, mm-hmm. is actually mates with her from school. Is and it? Joe, Joe was like obsessed with Pit Millet, and so he got me on this project. And who's the other person I've been listening to a lot of? I can't remember who it was now. I'm gonna circle back to me, Jules. Okay, do you know? Do you know who's Sydney? Sick? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna tell you Jules's place. There's a, a friend of mine called uh, Nick's Northwest. Jules, do you remember when we DJed at his party? Yeah, years and years and years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, basically, he 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 makes music now. He's a jazz pianist and rapper, but he goes by Nick's Northwest. He, he dropped a thirty project. Oh, really? It was uh, I think it was mid last year, so maybe like a year ago. But I'd highly recommend if you're into UK hip hop or any jazz influence type rap, definitely mm. give it a listen. Mm. I think it's called Life's a Bitch. I just need an early night. Ooh. Pretty nice. good name. It is. Um, I was just thinking that. I, I mean, I have some... There's one thing that came out today that I have not mm-hmm. listened to, but I'm sure it's going to be good. Disclosure. Which is... No. Close oh. to the Friend, new album. Oh, shit, yeah. Yeah, wait, shout out Kota. Which... Yeah. I mean, I listened to the like, one of the singles off it that had Joey Badass and Bass off it. Yeah. And that was so sick. What was, What's your opinion on Bass? Um, he's sick. He's sick. You love him. I'm kind of indifferent. I don't really know him. I don't really know him before Milky Way, 
So like, I'm only judging from Milky Way onwards. No, because I, I remember I start I started listening to him after after Boca Raton, and I don't know, like they all seem mm. to be like when I listen to them individually. I'm like, yeah, this is sick. But when it's on a playlist and it gets to a bass song, I always end up just skipping it. Like, really? I actually have that exact same experience. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then when I saw J.I.D., he brought him out and he came with a lot of energy. I was quite surprised. I thought he'd be kind of like a low-key guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my other recommendation was uh, Matilda Homer was the other one mm-hmm. I was going to say. Um, don't really know what to say about it, but it's really good. <laughs> <laughs> And the other thing that I wanted to shout out was Disclosure. Well, you were kind of right. Disclosure did put out a new single, mm. um, which I remember like, okay, so to give it some context, Disclosure basically dropped the track list for their album that's coming out in August. And I was like, oh my God. It's like Amine, Slow Tide, Common, Kelani, mm. Khalees. Crazy. Like so many big names. And then they dropped a track called Energy. And it's got a Joe's music video where basically this guy is a sperm trying to get into the womb. Anyway, the song like drops and the drop was like not saying that much. And I was listening like, oh, it's kind of disappointing. But then like they just came in with like, you know, those kind of like disclosure, squelchy synth chord things. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's that's that good shit. So mm. I enjoyed that quite a lot. And I'm excited for all the shit that's going to come out in the next few months. It's quite peak as well because I feel like they were like gearing up towards a big tour and a big album and all this and then yeah. it's all been, been cancelled. Gee, yeah. that's a, for so many people. There's a band called Frank Moody um, who share a studio with uh, a guy I've worked with called Joe Hurts, fucking legend. Um, they basically had this like their build up for like the pinnacle of their careers to drop this album. The album was sick. They had a whole world tour lined up and it's obviously all just been cancelled. Mm, so Oi, speaking of which, I, I bought tickets to go see um, Koji, Koji Radical. Oh, oh, no, no joke, no joke about this time last year. <laughs> and now I, have to, now I have to wait until December to see him. The one, the one in April. The one yeah, that was supposed to be in April. Yeah, I was supposed to be going to that Bro, as well. I bought my tickets maybe like September. Mm. Like, I literally <laughs> waited about six, seven months for it to then tell me I got to wait till December. Yeah. All right. Before we go to Sydney, is there anything you want to plug before we leave? Um. Yeah. So. So. As I said before. So we finished four singles. We're just taking it to distribution companies and that now. But within the next month, I reckon we're going to be dropping a, a, a new single uh, called Bonnie, and uh, it'll have a video. It'll be good. So just just keep connected. Stay peeping. Mm, nice. I look very forward to it. In fact, I've already heard it, but I know <laughs> I, I look like very it. forward. <laughs> <laughs> I very look for, no. Wrong. I've heard it and it's good, so I look forward to it. Lovely. Thank it's you. been wonderful having you on. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah. Lovely to see your face again. <laughs> love. Much yeah. love. Until next time, peace out. In a bit. Bye.